Right folks, so I've decided to split this episode on gold mining into two parts because I thought an hour and a half seems a bit too long for a podcast. So part one, uh, which you're listening to now, gives an introduction to the situation in Tyrone and a breakdown of what the major problems are with the gold mining process. It's a bit rambly in the beginning because I have a few rants that I needed to get out of my system, but bear with me, uh, I do get there in the end. Uh, part two then looks at who the company are, how they operate, and what role the state and the media play. We also talk a bit about the importance of solidarity. <laughs> I know, I know what you are thinking, but I'm telling you, there's gold up there in that old quarry. Fine gold, lovely Irish gold. A real crock of it. All right, Earthling, how are you? Uh, welcome to episode number 19 of Turning Earth. Uh, thanks for taking some time out of your day to listen to this. Um, this episode, as you know, is going to be on gold mining. Uh, we're going to be looking at the situation up in County Tyrone. A, a few weeks ago, I spoke to some people from Greencastle who are campaigning against the gold mine there. And uh, we're going to hear from them later. I also spoke to Terence Conway from Shell to Sea. We talked a little bit. Well, we were talking about his research he's doing into the Gardaí. But we talked a little bit about the situation in Tyrone and about the importance of uh, of solidarity uh, between communities who are resisting uh, projects that are going to be harmful to them and their their families and their 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 environment. Uh, so we'll hear a bit from him later on as well. From talking to the folks in Greencastle, um, I get the impression they've done they've done their homework as as communities are often forced to do when they're in this kind of scenario, and they're pretty clear in their message that they don't want this gold mine to go ahead. Uh, and what I can gather from looking into it, I can't really see any compelling argument for why it should go ahead. Um, but anyway, before I get into it, I want to get the disclaimer out of the way, which is, of course, this podcast is sponsored by Glushucht. Um Glushucht for Global Justice are an environmental NGO. Uh, they do things like direct action training and uh, research and publication around various issues to do with environmental justice on the island of Ireland. Um so yeah, they very generously uh, paid for the hosting of the podcast, but they have no editorial control. So if I if I say anything that pisses you off or that you think is just wrong, please get in touch with me and don't be hassling Glushox because it's nothing to do with them. Um, so yeah, major thanks to Glushox for making this possible. And I'd also like to thank you for taking uh, an hour or so out of your day to learn about this issue. Because that's really hard to do sometimes. We're kind of inundated with information in just in the society we live in because of because of how ubiquitous the internet is and because of social media and all the rest of it. It's, it's very hard to kind of... It, it can be hard to maintain or sort, to sort of cultivate a sense of hope when you're constantly being inundated by really, really, really bad news all day. I know that's something that I've been struggling with recently and it's actually made it very difficult to even make this podcast because I'm thinking, what's the point sometimes, you know? And I I don't think that's obviously that's not a good thing, but I I just I don't know I I was just finding it very hard to we're just reading all this just kind of disaster environmental reporting. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of that going around now, and I get it in my news feed a lot just because I follow this kind of stuff. So this is what crops up in my social media all the time. But you see a lot of uh, publications like the New Yorker, the Guardian, the Irish Times. Um, the sort of I suppose you call it like liberal kind of middle class publications do you know what I mean there's a lot of fetishising of the apocalypse going on uh, and it's not for no reason I mean the the climate science is fairly 
clear in that we have a very very small amount of time to make some huge changes but I there's something that doesn't sit quite right with me about the way the story's being told uh, in the mainstream at the moment it's very it's very sensationalist very um catastrophic and yeah very like we've always been obsessed with the with the apocalypse just as as a human society we've always had this fascination with the with the end of days and uh, i think they're just kind of playing into that sort of deep psychological resonance that it has with us you know and that deep spiritual resonance as well i mean all the all the abrahamic religions talk about an end time well i think to do christianity certainly does the one that i would have been raised in and that most of us in this country were raised in uh, to varying degrees uh, has that sort of cult of the apocalypse in it uh sounds very metal doesn't it but um so i think they're just playing into that really and like it is based on on, on scientific scientific evidence and you know the situation is really drastic but I think there's a danger to reporting it in that way and I don't think it's very responsible. I think they're doing it to sell papers, to sell subscriptions, uh, to get clicks and to get likes and all that crack. Um, but it did get me down and it, uh, it, it, it it did kind of... I bought into it, you know, because I am fascinated with that kind of thing as well, you know, as well as being just interested in climate science. I'm also... I also get taken in by that sort of big picture philosoph- philosophical stuff. Um but what, what this, this, the, the argument I'm seeing come up a lot in all of this is that we need to just accept that climate catastrophe and climate apocalypse is the word I keep seeing, that it's coming, that it's here, that it's now and that there's nothing we can do to stop it. And while there is some truth in that statement, in that, you know, that we have just kind of irreversibly altered the world to a degree, um, I think it's incredibly dangerous to be suggesting. And actually, what, what changed my mind on this was I was talking to Eric about it a couple of nights ago. Uh, Eric's the fella that you usually hear alongside me on this podcast. He just doesn't really have the time to be contributing to it at the moment, so it's just going to be myself for a while, I think. But um, I was having a chat to him about this, how I just I was feeling kind of hope, hopeless or whatever, and that I didn't think, I don't know, that I was, I, was I, I basically kind of bought into that narrative that uh, we're at the end of days and we should just, you know, just party on and go down with the ship. And it was him that brought up this point that you need to ask the question um, whose interests are being looked after by that argument because um, essentially what the, the logical conclusion of that argument that we're, that there's nothing that we shouldn't try to change it we should just try to adapt is it prevents us from trying to make the big changes that are really needed uh, in other words even though it's true to some degree that certain irreversible processes have been set in place like the sea level is going to rise a little bit the world's just going to get a little bit hotter um, if we don't do everything we can to stop it in other words if we don't act like we can completely stop it then we're just going to do a load of half measure, measures as, as as a society and not make the fundamental changes that are required so basically I suppose what I'm saying is I think if you see a headline that has the words climate apocalypse in it um, just ignore it because I, I don't think I don't know whatever about the person writing the article because I know the people who write these articles don't often choose the headlines but it could be the editor or whatever trying to sell like I said trying to get clicks and get likes and all the rest but it's I don't know it's not going to leave you with anything that you can actually work with Um. see I don't know just stay away from that shit it's not good for your head Um. and it's not the realistic picture even though they like to think it is you know Um. now having said that I think it's a good thing that these big name publications are talking about it, but whatever, you know, 
Um, it's just, it's, I, I, I'm a bit concerned about that. I'm rambling a bit now. What, what did I want to talk about? Oh yeah, I was essentially just thanking you for, uh, for taking the time to learn about this issue. Um, because it's hard. It's hard to kind of be switched on to what's going on and to not give up on hope altogether. Uh, but I hope this episode will illustrate that there there is cause for hope. Because while people resist these projects, while people kind of stand up for what they know is the right thing, um, there's always going to be hope there. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, speaking of gratitude, I'm also really grateful for the, the many millions of people all over the world who are going to be striking this Friday, the 20th, uh, especially the school students. There's going to be a rally in Dublin uh, at Merrion Square. Um, so, yeah, I'll hopefully see some of you there. And, yeah, thanks to everyone who's involved in that. I really hope that this is just the first step, though. I hope it keeps escalating from here. Because we really need to make some drastic, drastic changes. And I hope this is just the start of it. Six-year cross-border survey conducted mainly from the air has identified gold deposits right across the island of Ireland. It confirms what one Irish have never been short on imagination, but even the wildest dreamers could not have envisaged what lay beneath their feet. There's gold here in staggering quantities. Where'd you go, me friends? I want to know where me gold is. Give it back to a nice little harmless leprechaun. Gold. Shiny, precious, inert metal. It's a metal that has some but limited practical value. Most of it globally is used for decorative purposes. Um, it's, a, it's a frivolous luxury really. But it's, it seems to be incredibly important to us as a species. We, we value it as a resource. We value it immensely. Um, and... That's something I'm going to get into a little bit later. Like, why do we actually care about gold so much? Um, I want to talk about that now in a minute. Examine that a little bit and why why do we make such a fuss over gold and diamonds and other shiny things. But before I get on to that, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the media. I spoke earlier about the, the sort of climate disaster, apocalypse fetish that the, that the mainstream media seems to have. Um, it doesn't give you a very clear picture of what's going on. It gives you kind of a, a curated view of things. Um, like it is based in reality, but it's um, the goal of it, I don't think, is to inform you and to equip you to take action. I think it, the goal of it is to to just, like I said earlier, keep you subscribing. Uh, in another way, though, the, the media bias... Uh, in favour of these kind of big infrastructure projects, be it gold mining or oil and gas infrastructure, makes it very difficult to get a clear, clear picture of what's going on as well. Um, someone asked me recently when I told them that I'd been interviewing people up in Greencastle who were opposing a gold mine. Uh, this person asked me, did I interview anyone who's in favour of the gold mine? 
and I didn't but it did get me thinking about bias and about balance this notion of having to have balance and how the need for balance um, seems to always favour the powerful um, and the reason for that is I did consider reaching out to Dalradian who are, Dalradian are the company who are uh, exploring for gold and trying to mine for it in Tyrone um, I thought about reaching out to them for an interview um, but after watching the news reports and reading the stuff in the papers I kind of came to the conclusion that they already their voice is already amplified as much as it needs to be and um, their agenda is already out there as much as it needs to be and I don't really see the value in a way I suppose by, by giving just one side of the story here I'm kind of resetting the balance or I'm doing my small part in resetting the balance because um, reading all the media reports I mean you kind of heard some of them there during the intro they're they're like they do kind of show both sides of the story but every news report I saw if they did show the opposing side they always began and ended with the company's viewpoint and they were always very I mean they were just gushing about how exciting it is that there's all this gold and that it's that it didn't really get into the nitty gritty the facts of what would actually be involved in gold mining and where they did show local people speaking they never sh they showed people kind of talking about being worried about the kids and the, the kind of general worries they have but they didn't show any of the local people speaking about like why it is like really the nuts and bolts of why they're opposed to it because everybody I spoke to up there um, for the afternoon I was there were really 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 well informed and knew kind of what was involved and why it was bad and or why it was bad for the environment um, who it was going to benefit they knew who the companies were they knew what the science behind it was um, they were just really really switched on and the news wasn't showing that it just kind of, sh kind of sh showed them expressing a vague worry and then it had cut straight back to the to the company being oh it's grand though we're absolutely confident that we're going to do this to the highest environmental standard blah 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 it gave like an overwhelming amount of airtime to the company and like I said it begins and ends with them always there were even times where it kind of just sounded like an ad for, for gold mining and I'll play an example of what I mean now Mining has been carried out in this part of the border region for centuries, but only recently has it been firmly established just how much gold exists under the ground here. It's not just thousands, it's not millions, but potentially billions of pounds worth. And the Irish government is extremely sympathetic to any mining companies that want to come here and exploit the resource. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, the, the first thing is that the, the focus on quantifying the gold in terms of how much money it would be worth and that was something that was pretty common to all the news reports I watched and all the stuff I read it never looks into we're going to get into this a bit more later on but it doesn't really look at the the huge environmental cost which is with this particular kind of gold mining um, there is a ratio of for like of all the rock you put up out of the ground 99 more than 99% of it actually is left behind as toxic and completely untreatable waste rock um, and then you get this very small amount of gold out of it um, so it doesn't focus on that it instead, rather than quantifying it, quantifying it in terms of how much waste and end product there is they quantify it in terms of how much money it'll be worth um, and it doesn't look at the, the, what the cost of the environmental cleanup afterwards is going to be and who's going to foot that bill um, Northern Ireland it would be even less known 
for its good environmental regulations than the south is so as well as that he started out there by saying that gold mining has been going on here for centuries but what we're talking about here is a new kind of gold extraction it's called cyanide heap leaching um, and I'll describe in a little bit what that's about but it's a method that's only been around since the 60s late 60s and similar to fracking it's a way of getting at gold deposits that were previously written off as useless because there's so little gold in them you heard someone during the intro say that there's gold there in staggering quantities you also heard him refer to it as one of the finest finest untapped gold deposits in the world but it's a bit of a misnomer because there are no decent gold deposits left in the world just like nearly every other resource we've exploited it to such a degree that there's so little of it left um something like half of the gold uh, that's currently in circulation has been mined just in the last 50 years um because of the acceleration that happened after the industrial revolution and the kind of the advent of hyper consumerism in the 20th century where we just there's this idea out there that if you, if you want to be happy you just keep buying and buying and buying um we've we've started over exploiting so many different resources but you see that with gold as well like i said half of the gold that's in circulation came out of the ground in the last 50 years so we're at the stage now where there are no gold deposits left of like any major size or quality i'll get on to that in a bit more detail now in a minute um how the gold is actually extracted from the rock but before that um i just want to point out again the similarities between this process heap leaching and fracking just in terms of how much waste there is um so fracking hydraulic fracturing which is still a danger in the neighboring county uh, county fermanagh um is an incredibly destructive and wasteful form of oil and gas extraction um and so if you compare it to traditional oil wells in a traditional oil well um like the kind of ones you see the big sort of spouts coming out of the ground for every one barrel of oil you spend you get 50 barrels back with fracking for every one barrel you spend you get two or three barrels back so you're left with loads of waste and destruction for very little return it's kind of the same or it's even worse nearly with the gold um because there's so little left in the, the seams that are still in the ground um like i said earlier more than 99 percent of the rock that comes up out of the ground is left as waste and because of the process it's completely toxic and untreatable waste that has to be left on site because of how harmful it is by the way any of the information that i'm relaying here i got through initially by talking to the folks up in tyrone and then through doing my own research online um like i said i tried looking for some independent researchers but it was very hard and it was really disheartening um uh looking at let me just put it up here again like first of all i looked on trinity the geology department's website and in their earth resources section they're the section on the research they do uh they're partnered with a number of mining companies uh such as Connemara mining who are involved in gold mining in county donegal you heard a bit of them earlier on uh, likewise there's an organization called icrag the irish center for research and applied geosciences sound promising they're partnered with shell eni bp exxon mobil san leon energy uh Baldwin, chevron you know companies that statoil companies that have horrendous environmental records all over the world um eni and shell are currently involved in a human rights uh case with people from ogoni land in nigeria um just as one example so I, I just couldn't trust 
the research that came out of these places um so i i'd look around online and because of this actually i'm really grateful for things like sci-hub and researchgate because through them if you come across any uh environment or uh, scientific journals online which normally you have to pay a lot of money to subscribe to if you put the url into sci-hub you can get the the paper for free so you can you can do that research um it's just yeah it's it's this, this information is so closely guarded um you need to have money or access to this information you need to be part of a university or or whatever so things like sci-hub are really important for liberating that information and i'm, I'm really glad that that that, re that exists as a resource um but yeah it was very disheartening looking at the sort of triad of academia the industry and the government um if you just look on these websites they're all partners with each other they're all interlinked and i mean it makes sense that people doing this research would be linked to the industry um but i don't see how uh researchers can be unbiased if they're working on behalf of an industry that's chiefly concerned with profit um like surely there needs to be room for people doing the research for the sake of the thing itself how to protect it how to keep it going um, I don't think it's possible to make the industry properly sustainable because it's all about consumption and it's tied up with capitalism which is all about overconsumption, constant production um, so it's just it's it really kind of brought home to me what the magnitude of the powers that the people in Tyrone are facing. Uh, where you are here at the moment, Tommy, is a place called Crockenboy Hill. Uh, it's approximately 1,200 metres above the village of Greencastle, uh, the school and the shop. It's um, a rural area, uh, generally would be classified as mountainous, and it's uh, the site of the proposed processing plant and mine by a Canadian junior prospecting company, um, where they intend to use two tonne of cyanide per day. Um, and sure, you just just describe for the people who can't see it. Um, so where we are, where we're sitting here now, would be the processing plant. Where, where we're sitting here now, it'd be actually just uh, after you went to their compound. Uh, the compound then goes for 1.2 kilometres across the side of this mountain. Um, it's one of the highest mountain ranges in West Tyrone, the Spurns. Um, where you're looking across would be down at the Onrea River which is one of the most important rivers for salmon spawning and uh, freshwater pearl mussels. Um, it's been designated that. Uh, you also have over the back is the Onkilu River, which as well as uh, ASSI designated because of its, its, its uh, how you say, environmental uh, credibility, you know. But um, it's... You can see you're on top of the world up here because you're looking down on everybody and that's some of the things that we actually are concerned about you know these guys and their own information in the first five years is intending to put three and a half million ton of contaminated waste that's their own definition 
But that there was Peter. He was one of the people I spoke to while I was up in Greencastle. Uh, I also spoke to two other residents of the area who are against the mine, Sean and John. Um, I started by asking them how they first heard about the gold mine and processing plant. My first introduction was uh, it was a gentleman who was very much pro-gold mine, had informed me about anti-gold mining meetings right. taking place in the local village. So at this stage I didn't know he was actually working for the firm. So I decided to go along and what I heard at the time I thought, you know, this is a lot of fun, substantiated. This can't be real. So as time went on I eventually thought, you know, this is getting a bit... I went to two or three of these meetings and I thought, no, this can't be right. So I went ahead and downloaded the feasibility study from the company and I started reading into it and I thought, hold on, there's something really scary about this. So then they had their first consultation in the room above the bar in the local village and that was the true realisation. I think it was just like a knock the wind out of us when we seen for real that these guys were proposing the largest uh, cyanide processing plant in Western Europe on our doorstep, 1,200 metres from the primary school with 120 plus children in it. Uh, preschool across the road from that with anything up to 40 infants in it. I would live about a mile or so just down the road from it here. Um, I would have first uh, heard about it. Uh, first of all, thought great, sounded great like everybody else in the area. I thought it was great work. Actually was looking into getting a job on it. And uh, thought this is great, like I'm going to have handy work near home. Like, and uh, went to find out about it. Um, there was a meeting uh, just upside upstairs in a pub next door over from me, just and I went to it to find out about it and um, just went round all the tables inquiring about it. And uh, there's one of the ladies was there, uh, had inquired about her, the work, and she said, uh, well, there's an old lady next table, but she was busy, she says, so just to hang about with her. So I hung about with her for a few moments and just out of curiosity, just asked her, like, what way do you separate the, you know, the gold and the rock and all, like, not me not knowing nothing about it. Like, so she actually uh, said to me what the, they were using cyanide and flotation, like tanks or whatever it was. And uh, as time's gone on, We've started to delve more and more. We delved more and more into it doing our research and found out like this stuff's scary. There's nowhere in the world this stuff happens where it doesn't cause pollution and all the rest of it. Yes, they can cover it over in the media. They can they can throw money around them. But we're a small country here. You know, Northern Ireland alone fits into Canada 440 times, going by the land mass. You know, and they're talking about bringing the same sort of industry in on our doorsteps. And as Patty Anderson once said in an interview in the Times magazine, it's not a mine he's looking for, it's a mine camp. So we know he's not here just for the one mine. If he gets his foot in the door, it's going to be like a cancer and spread throughout the island of Ireland. He's referring there to Patrick Anderson, who's the CEO of Dalradian Resources, the company who want to mine in Greencastle. Um, and just to give an idea of what would be involved in even one mine site, um, so what happens during the process is that the rock is extracted from the earth, uh, the rock that contains the veins of gold ore, so it's dug up and crushed into a fine powder. 
And bear in mind that all the high-grade ore in the world is gone now, which is why this highly destructive method is now used. So once they have this fine powder, they leave it in what's called a leach pad. And the cyanide solution is then added to the heap of crushed rock to extract the gold. So the gold gets stripped from the rock, stripped from the little particles of crushed up rock. Uh, the, the little tiny particles of gold binds to the cyanide. And these heaps, they're usually about half a square kilometre, which is equivalent to about five football pitches. And they're between four and ten metres high. So that's just one leech pad. Um, and just to point out as well, the company initially stated that there would just be a mine here, so the, the rock would just be extracted here and then taken elsewhere to be processed. Uh, they then changed the story and said no, the, the, they'll have the processing plant here as well. And then since then they've changed back and said no, there will be no processing plant. Uh, they've also said they wouldn't use cyanide, um, but the only other option cyanide would be mercury which is even more toxic so it's really difficult to believe anything they say in relation to what the actual plans are because they don't stick to their story and they never give a clear answer anyway um, so back to the process what happens with these leech pads the the miners refer to the combination of cyanide and rock as the pregnant effluent now wrap your lips around those words the pregnant effluent sounds pleasant uh, and this, this pregnant effluent is then collected in drainage basins at the bottom of the leach pads. And here is where the gold is collected and reduced in a furnace to its pure metallic form. But since a, about a tonne of ore, a tonne of rock, contains less than 0.05 ounces of gold, so it takes hundreds of tonnes of destroyed rock to extract even a tiny amount of gold. So what we're talking about here is something of an immense scale that I'm even having difficulty imagining. Well, their plan application, uh, 10,000 pages, is the largest plan application ever put in in relation, well, I believe, the island of Ireland, but definitely in, in the north. Um, what these guys is intending to do uh, is not something you can see anywhere else in Western Europe. You can fly to London or you can fly to Scotland or any other places locally, France, and see something similar to this because they just don't have them. Uh, you tend to find something like this is out in the middle of a, a nowhere, you may say, out, out on a tundra or something, uh, hundreds of miles away from population because, as it's well known, gold mining is one of the most toxic industries known to man. You know, these guys and their own information in the first five years is intending to put three and a half million tonne of contaminated waste. That's their own definition. They have to get a, a special designation for it, and that's NORM, Naturally Occurring Radioactive Material. Um, can you explain now what that means exactly? And when you say contaminated waste, what, when they say well, that, that, that's the exactly? definition that they're actually has been given by the department. Um, this stuff cannot be taken off-site. It can't be used in construction. It can't be used uh, for farmers to make roads. You know, it, it has to remain here because of the contamination levels. Uh, you generally find with gold mining in that that anything that contains gold also contains a plethora of heavy metals, lead, arsenic, cadmium, you know, and such like. So that's something that you just can't dump or tip any road. Um, and their own information here they're going to do as they call it a waste heap and over the first 10 years as far as i remember they're talking about 10 million ton which at its highest point is 53 meters high so your standard turbine 
is 50 metres. So this thing's going to be actually three metres higher than that. Unimaginable. Can you imagine just looking from our point of view? You know, lucky years ago, the people that actually was working for this company was walking about telling about the way that this was bringing jobs and investment and that all the concerns about what was happening was could be allayed because they were going to take it away and process it and it was just going to be, you know, minimal mining here. There was no word of a processing plant. The way this company come in to the community, um, I know they'll probably say they didn't, but they did. They lied through their teeth to anybody that asked them what was happening. Um, we actually got a thing and if you watch mining companies or companies involved in extractive industries around the world, they follow the same agenda. They come into the community and I think the easiest way to do it is, there's a lady said to me one day, it's like cancer, you know, whenever you feel the pain, it's generally too late, you know, it's generally, it's gone to that stage where you can't actually do anything about it. This community, unfortunately, didn't realise, they felt the pain and that was in early 2016 and we've seen what was actually being prepared for us. And all we can do now is hope that, be talking about the concerns and letting people know, you know, just what way these guys works is that people will start checking that nobody will go through the same thing as this community had to go through with a cancer like them, you know. Um, this has been used to their benefit because, you know, the uh, there was a lady over here last year, I think it was last year, and she was Chaz Jewett, and she was from the Standing Rock campaign in, in, in America. And she was saying that most of these companies all use the same agenda. They'll come in before they ever make themselves knowing what they're going to do. They will get the politicians and the churches and such like on board. They will then go for the elders in the community, people with standing, people that people respect, people that people look up to. And they will, how would you say, soil them because they put them in a position whenever they do tell the story of exactly what they intend to do. These people are that embarrassed that they can't say it's a bad thing or a wrong thing. Should that be through grant aid of money? Should it be through holidays? Should it be through whatever way they work? Um, and that's a very sad thing to see that these guys are actively picking off the vulnerable in the community. Now you laugh and you think that a politician's vulnerable, but as you probably know, politicians are probably the most vulnerable because their egos and their back pockets seem to be the thing that if you can satisfy both of them, they'll do whatever you want. And there's definitely no difference to what's happened here either. There was a guy here about six months ago and he was saying that most of these companies, whenever they come in, they would actually get somebody like a psychologist to do, a, you know, travel with some of the workers. And they actually pinpoint, they're able to actually physically say, well, your man, you know, he's, he would be susceptible or, you know, you can turn him. And you think to yourself, this is like something you'd hear in the Wild West, but these guys are using every weapon in their arsenal yeah. till to bring destruction to this community. That's the way, um, I can't think of his name now, he was one of the Rossport Five. That's the way he put it when he was talking about when Shell first came into Eris and Mayo. Yeah, there was Willie Cadet and... They'd done their homework on yeah. everyone and they knew who 
who to go and talk to first and yeah. who to well you see that's why they have to come in in advance that's why they have to as i say get the elders in the community because them's the people that's actually possibly pointing them in the right direction and that's the sad thing you know they, they get them into this conference and then they turn around and they could be having a conversation in the office and oh your man there oh you know he He'd be short of a few pounds at the minute, or you know, uh, such and such went wrong. You know, these guys are taking this all down. You know, it, it it sounds strange, but you sometimes think to yourself that um, it's a game. You know, and every time they feel that they've won a level, they progress to the next level, and at no matter what cost, they're going to keep progressing. And again, as I say. The people that actually initially was for them, <coughs> or sorry, excuse me, that worked for them, you know, they're in that position now that they've pushed this company, it's been a good company that long, it's actually embarrassing to turn around and say it's a bad thing. Mm. As you said to me earlier, um, that what they, what they, what, what you were told initially was planned for here was, was, was false. What was, was initially they just said they were going to extract it, but there'd be no process in plan? No, yeah. yeah, we were told by the community relations people that... Uh, this material is all going to be concentrated, the same as was happening in Roma, and everything was to be taken away for processing, the same as was happening in Roma. There was no use of cyanide. There was uh, the Operation Noma just as like what they did say, a general size farm shade. But with these guys' proposals, unbelievable. You know, we can't get houses in this area because it's near its standing natural beauty. But these guys can put up something that you probably wouldn't see in some of the bigger cities. Mining by its very nature, causes ecosystem destruction because of the removal of soil and vegetation. Companies involved often claim that they can rehabilitate the habitats they've removed, but it's difficult to see how that could be possible with mining processes as intrusive as this one. The European Journal of Engineering refers to mining waste as a permanent toxicological problem. Bear in mind now that in the case of heat bleaching, more than 99% of the original material becomes waste or tailings. And because this material can't be removed, the companies leave the heat bleach pads and the contaminated tailing ponds, usually untreated, after the operation is complete. They say that this is safe because of the short half-life of cyanide, which means that the cyanide breaks down relatively quickly in the environment. This point is debatable, though. Well, as I say, we're not experts, but from the research that we've done, <coughs> naturally occurring in this rock you're going to have arsenic mercury you can have lithium you can have lead you know it just goes on and on and none of this stuff is good for you as it accumulates in your system they talk about cyanide and the funny the company did say that it's got a short half-life it disappears quickly but it doesn't disappear it turns to cyanides in that yes not as toxic but it's still toxic you look at any gold mine where they talk about cyanide spills What's the immediate remediation or uh, uh, action plan they put into place? They spray the place down with bleach. They try and break it down. It breaks down in sunlight, yes, but they can't afford it to leave it long enough to get in the sun because it'll get into the local environment. It takes a very small amount of cyanide to devastate any life within the immediate area. Yeah. If it gets into the water system, that aquatic system is dead for miles. Yeah. And God forbid it got anywhere near humans. A few grams, that stuff is going to be lethal to a human. And it's a horrible way to go when you look into it. It basically inhibits your red blood cells from carrying oxygen around your system. So I was you reading about that. They're yeah. more attracted to cyanide than they are to oxygen, so it, yeah. you, you suffocate. Your cellular suffocation is the yeah. term I say. suffocate from the inside out. Mm -hmm. 
and these guys are proposing to use 767 tons a year of this stuff on this site. Now this is only for this one mine, and as we said before, Patrick Anderson has stated it's not a mine he's looking for, it's a mine camp. So if they do start to mine all over Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, where do we go from there? The EU a number of years ago voted um, quite substantially to ban cyanide and uh, gold mining processing and mining in all EU member states. It hasn't been ratified to law yet, but our fear here is if we do leave Europe through Brexit, will we then become the favourable dumping ground of Europe for cheap processing of low-grade ores, which cyanide is used for? You know, is Ireland going to become the dirty little dump of Europe? Actually, yeah. Someone mentioned to me earlier. That, uh, can you? I don't know if you can give me any details on this. That it was proposed that after the mine was uh, used up, that it would be used to store nuclear waste. We don't know that for sure, but there is talk. There's uh, talk on government websites and that. Now, currently at the moment, they say Ireland, Northern Ireland, isn't participating, and the only reason they're not participating is because we don't have a devolved government. Right. If we go back to direct rule. Are we open for business again as far as GDFs, they call it, Geological Disposal Facilities? And basically what it is, is Britain now needs somewhere to store all their radioactive waste. And they propose by using old geological features, mines, bury this stuff deep. And this is a productive way. And in their own website, this is, there is rock formations and current exploration taking place between Oma and Cookstown, which is where we are at, which they're continuing to monitor as a potential GDF. So again, will be a dumping ground for the processing of low-grade ores for Europe. And are we going to take the high-energy radioactive waste from England to be dumped here in the Spurn Mountains? You know, it's it's all very far-fetched when you think about it and talk about it, but when you actually look into it and read the evidence, it's there. We still find it hard to grasp. It sounds like supervillain stuff. Do it you know really I mean? does. Comic book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's the way we feel. And at times, you do let your guard down and you think, nah. But then you realise, nope, I've seen the hard evidence there. It's on their own government websites. Mm. They speak about it. There's a lady that on one of the videos with nice little graphics and everything else explaining the whole thing in this area. So, what future have we here? What have we got for our children? As Sean mentioned... Heavy metals tend to accumulate in the soil with a long persistence. Wherever gold is found, heavy metals are found alongside it, especially in low-grade ores like the type in County Tyrone. So we're talking here about arsenic, lead, cadmium, copper. Arsenic, for example, is linked to water contamination, causing cancer of the skin, lungs, bladder and the urinary tract. Lead can cause brain, liver and kidney damage. Cadmium can cause kidney failure, liver, bone and blood damage. They're also extremely damaging to plants, inhibiting photosynthesis, which is what the plants use to stay alive, and plant reproduction. So plant growth, as a result, is reduced or can be rendered impossible. Animal poisoning, especially of birds and aquatic life, has been distressingly common at heap leach sites in the past. So because these tail and ponds get left behind, they have a high potential of leak to they have a high potential to leak into the surrounding habitats. And this is shown in studies all around the world through a process known as acid mine drainage. And similarly to fracking, heap leaching covers a very large area and as the ponds are left behind, the odds of leaks, of leaks occurring from them increases. So on the subject of cyanide, 
Although it can degrade quickly in sunlight, the presence of heavy metals stabilises the cyanide and can cause its retention in the environment. So as levels of heavy metals increase, the cyanide can also increase. So mining of this kind clearly represents a threat to the hydrological cycle as well as to the air and geological stability of the region. Short term, there are threats to worker and resident health because of the wind-blown spread of solution drops and the dust from the leach pads. Workers in gold mines globally tend to have decreased life expectancy, increased frequency of cancers, organ failure, silicosis, noise-induced hearing loss and diseases of the blood and skin. It's worth mentioning at this point, as Sean mentioned there, that the EU proposed to ban the use of cyanide. It's already been banned in Germany, Czech and Hungary. Czech and Hungary have banned gold mining outright. We had, we had looked into it more. I'm not into green or scientist or nothing. Like I'm just local fella here. Like just work my head down working for a living. Like um, would have been all for like you know more work in the country and all like more money. But whenever it was explained to me um, that there's going to be using cyanide, plus then the amount of waste. And then it get, keeps getting worse. Like, you know, uh, somebody else said to me about Donegal and Thrones, one of the highest places in Ireland for radon, which is actually, there is videos up where they put the, 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 the shots off in the mine, where they blow it up. And you see the dust coming out through the the shaft, you know, above the vent shafts. Mm. And that there's, like, we're only a mile away from our school with the children's running about. Like, mm. like, like being in the building trade, I know what you put, uh, radon barrier down to keep radon down in your house and what these ones is doing is actually blowing it into the air and it's on video to see it like the more the more I looked into it the more I couldn't believe it and the more I just it's just mind-blowing it's just mind-blowing like you know and I, anybody what has any doubt in it at all there's two ways just don't believe a word I say or anybody says Go and find out for yourself and it'll blow your mind like you know. So that was episode 19 of Turning Earth and whenever you have the head for it you can go ahead and listen to part 2. So before I go there's now a Patreon page for the podcast so if you'd like to support it financially have a look at patreon.com forward slash turning earth. The money will go towards paying transport costs and the like so I can go and interview more people. Uh, and finally, if there's anything I said that you think was nonsense, please send me an email to turningearthradio at gmail.com uh, to disabuse me of my ridiculous notions. Um, and yeah, ihoa. Yeah.